0: Well, good morning, and uh, welcome to Sojourn. It's good to see you guys out uh, on this Sunday to worship together and uh, just spend time singing together and now opening up God's Word. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Matthew as we have been over the last few months, and so if you need a copy of the Bible, would you just raise your hand? Uh, somebody will bring a Bible around to you, so just keep your hand up till they find you. I'd uh, love for you to be able to read along with us this morning. If you don't actually own a copy of the Scriptures, please feel free to take that with you. It's our gift to you. We believe God's Word is important for all of your life, and so we want you to be in it and have it, access to it, uh, so that you can read it um, and understand more of who God is and who you are uh, in relation to who God is. Um, This past Wednesday, uh, my son, my oldest son Owen, and I got to go with my parents. We went to a Nationals game. Uh, It was super hot outside, but it was a lot of fun. We were sitting right on the the first base side, close to where Bryce Harper plays, and that's Owen's favorite player, and so we just had a great time uh, watching the game, uh, eating lots of hot dogs. It was dollar dog day at the park, so you had to order about five or six of those. Uh, Normally that's like $30, and it was only five bucks, so it was great. Uh, Owen, I think, got into the game for a long time, and then he just got into eating. Uh, he went through almost a whole bag of peanuts. I asked him at one point, hey, are you still paying attention? And he was just like, no, I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> um, I'm just focused on the peanuts, but... Man, I love going to games. It's nice to be able to drive down there. It's fun for us just to watch baseball. It's uh, probably our favorite sport as a family. But you know, something interesting about baseball, if you don't know about baseball or you do know a lot about it, something interesting about it is that baseball has this code of unwritten rules that exist. So for instance, if a pitcher on one team hits a batter on the other team and it even appears to be intentional, it's likely that some point later in the game, the other pitcher is going to throw the ball intentionally at the other team's batter in order to get back at them. And when this happens, what's likely to happen is that the benchers will clear, words will be exchanged, sometimes a fight will break out. It's it's baseball retaliation. One ESPN writer says this, Baseball players are the most macho, remorseless, vengeful people I've ever met. If you mess with their game, if you mess with them, if you mess with a teammate, they are going to get revenge. No matter how long it takes, even if it's three years, even if the guy is your new teammate, they're going to get revenge. We'll see, as we get into our text today, we see Jesus calling his kingdom people to live differently and respond differently than they would than the way that the world does when they feel hurt by someone. In these next two weeks, the, the text that we're going to look at this week and next week really go together. They're kind of a, uh, the same idea Jesus is sharing, addressing it in two different ways. And it's really challenging for us because it's a very personal issue. It deals with how do God's kingdom people treat those who hurt them? How, how do we treat those who hurt us? This might be some of the most challenging texts that we've come across in this whole series on the Sermon on the Mount as we look at Jesus teaching about his kingdom, teaching about how his kingdom people should live here and now, and especially after the week we've had in our own country, thinking about hurt, thinking about pain, thinking about trying to understand one another and how we react to that. Because these texts we're going to look at, they press on areas of justice. They press on areas of equitability in our, in our rights, and issues of fairness in our own lives. These texts, I really believe, exemplify the inverted, upside-down nature of Jesus' kingdom. But what we're going to see in these texts over these next two weeks is that Jesus is calling us to do two things. To live differently and to love differently. To live differently and love differently. And again, given the climate and the culture and our current country and the society we find ourselves in, this is an opportunity, Sojourn Church, this is an opportunity for us as God's kingdom people, as a church, to shine light into darkness, in a dark time in a dark place with lots of confusion and lots of pain. And in our text today, we'll see something very clear is that two wrongs don't make a right. But more importantly than that, we'll see that you and I can trust God with our wounds, we can trust him with our hurts. And so my hope is that today that God will use his word to bring conviction and to bring healing and to bring freedom, conviction over areas of vindictiveness in your life, healing from hurt that you've endured, and freedom to walk in the restoring grace of Jesus. And so as we open up God's word, as we begin our time in his word, let's just go to, go to him in prayer first and ask him to help us and bless our time in his word this morning. Father, we come before you and very humbly and simply ask for you to help us. Help us to hear your word this morning. This is an extremely challenging text because it's very different than the way the world operates. It's very different than most of us probably operate in our own lives at times. When we feel hurt, when we've experienced real pain and real hurt. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to hear this morning. That you would help us to be who you've called us to be. That if we've come close to Jesus, everything has changed. And so help us to experience that change in our hearts today. We pray that your word would help us to be a light in a dark world, that right now in our own country and all around the world is struggling to understand what Jesus calls us to in this text. So we pray, Father, that for your glory and for our good and the good of the city we find ourselves in, the country we find ourselves in, that we would heed your word this morning. And we submit this to you and pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. We'll go ahead and grab your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 5 if you haven't already. We're going to be in verses 38 through 42. It's interesting uh, to me that, again, in light of the week that, that our country has walked through over these last few days, that we happen to be at this text. This wasn't pre-planned. In my planning, I couldn't have known that, but God in His providence has planned this. So this is where we're at in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. This is what Jesus says to you this morning. Several weeks ago, we looked at a few verses earlier in chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, and see there that Jesus says very clearly he didn't come to abolish the law, God's law. He didn't come to get rid of God's law. He didn't come to reject God's law. What he came to do is fulfill it fully and completely. He came to fulfill it, to fill up everything that God demands from you and from me, Jesus gives to us. He gives it to us. And Jesus said that our righteousness must exceed that of the religious experts, the, religious, uh, the law experts and the leaders of the religious culture in that time, that they were seeking to do things on the outside, seeking to make their behavior match up in a certain way so they could earn favor with God. They could walk rightly with God. But Jesus is consistently pressing on this and saying, this isn't about your outward behavior. It's not about how you, how you just appear to live your life. It's about your heart because from your heart flow your actions. And so here, what Jesus is calling us to once again is not a bunch of rule following. It's not even just addressing an outright rejection of the lordship of God. He's calling us to follow him, to come close to him once again. And he gives us another example of how his inverted kingdom, his kingdom people must live in light of the kingdom that's come and the king who's come again, this is very personal because it it confronts religious rule following, it confronts irreligious rejection of following the king, and it confronts our own emotions and our own feelings in our life. So I'm going to break this sermon down into three points. Our hurt, our hope, and our healing. Our hurt, our hope, and our healing. We begin with our hurt. See, what Jesus quotes here is kind of a compilation of a few Old Testament texts that are mentioned multiple times, this idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And the intent of that law was not to incite retaliation. It was to restrain it. It was essentially to lay out and prevent inappropriate punishment, to say punishment and justice is important. There should be punishment for wrongdoing, but it needs to be equitable. It needs to match up with what's actually been done. Because so often what people would do is they would go a step further and say, well, you did this to me, so I'm going to take this further and exact more punishment on you for what you've done. But we have to understand that this law was given to God's people as a nation, not to a bunch of individuals. This was a law that was meant to be carried out by the judges and the rulers of the people of Israel to to, to make sure that they were administering justice in a way that was fair and equitable. It wasn't given to people to be vigilantes. It wasn't given to people who wanted to settle a vendetta towards someone else. But the problem is, in Jesus' day, why I think he's addressing this here in this context to his disciples who've come close to him is that they've taken this thing that was given to help manage and direct God's people not to be vindictive as a nation, not to be vindictive in culture, to say they were taking it in a personal way and say, how far can I go to seek personal revenge on someone who's done something to me without breaking the law? how can I check that box off? What am I allowed to do to someone who's hurt me? And so instead of being restrictive, it'd be starting to be seen as prescriptive, giving permission to seek out personal revenge. And so once again, Jesus isn't rejecting the law. He isn't rejecting justice. Justice is near and dear to the heart of our God. It's near and dear to his heart. What Jesus is doing, though, like he does so often through this sermon that he's teaching his disciples, that he's teaching his kingdom people, is he's redefining justice in light of his kingdom. He's redefining it in light of the king king that has come for his kingdom people. And what he says is extremely challenging. But I say to you, do not resist the evil one. Do not resist the evil one. Now, I want to make a few quick points that I think are important for us before we really get into uh, the rest of this text. And, And I want to make these points especially in light of the week that our country has walked through. The first thing is this. This is not a text about pacifism. So a lot of times people take this text and they think, well, this is promoting pacifism in all spheres of life. Now, we can talk about that, and maybe the Bible makes an argument for that. We could discuss that. That's not what this text is talking about, though. The second thing we need to understand is this is not about systemic injustice or hurt. Jesus isn't confronting a a systemic problem of injustice in culture. He's talking about personal hurt. When someone personally offends you or personally hurts you. But we have to also understand that God's people must fight for and care about justice in culture and society. They need to care about it. Because we need to see, we need to understand that justice is not a political issue though it's been politicized. Justice is not a construct of politics or a human institution. Justice is a construct of our God and our King, who's a God of justice and who is also a God of mercy. So one thing I want to make sure is crystal clear for us this morning, even though this text deals specifically with personal hurt, is that as God's kingdom people, we can and should seek out justice in our culture now. We should long for it in our culture now and long for Jesus to come again who will establish the fullness of justice where there'll be no more injustice in our culture. What that means, church, is that you and I need to fight for the lives of the unborn. We need to fight for the lives of police men and women. We need to fight for the lives of black men and women in our country right now. We need to listen. We need to seek to understand we need to love one another with a love that we cannot have apart from God's power in our life. Because every single person on the face of this earth right now, regardless of they wear a uniform or the color of their skin, are image bearers of God. Every single one of them. Which means they're valuable in the sight of God. So when we dismiss people's hurt, or we seek to state things in a political way for political purposes, or to make ourselves feel better, we are not honoring the Lord in that. But as God's people who understand that Jesus is king, we can fight for these things, for the glory of God and for the good of others around us. We should seek justice for all people, not just people who look like us, not just people who, who we understand. We should strive, especially if we find ourselves in a majority culture. And let me just be blunt this morning, if you're a white person sitting here, you're in the majority culture. So we should fight for, especially we should seek to understand, especially if we find ourselves in a majority culture, to understand the struggles and the hurts and the pains and the injustice of those who aren't in the majority culture. That's something God, I believe, gives us that burden to do in this country and at this time. See, I think the church needs to be a prophetic voice in our culture right now. It needs to be a prophetic voice in our world right now to say there's a better way and it's Jesus' way. It's Jesus' way, the way of the inverted kingdom. The way of an inverted kingdom amidst a world bent on destroying itself for the sake of self. Do you, do you see that in our culture right now? That we, are, we care more about ourselves and are fine with, with breaking our culture for the sake of advancing our own agendas and our own self instead of seeking to love those around us. So now is the time to speak. Now is the time to act. But maybe most, the most important thing we, do, we can do and the most important thing for, for us to do is to listen, to be patient and listen to one another. Jesus says, do not resist the evil one. But how we seek that justice now, how we go about doing that, what Jesus is calling us to this morning as individuals who find ourselves in a culture right now who's having a hard time with this is that we don't seek justice through means of retaliation or violence. That's never the way. It's always through radical love. Love through love that only Jesus gives. Do not resist the evil one, he says. This is not a call for us not to resist evil abstractly. It's not what he's talking about here. This isn't a a call to, to resist the evil one in the means of Satan or the devil or our great enemy. Jesus is saying, do not resist the one who's doing evil to you. To you. But let's be really clear about what Jesus is not saying here. He's not calling you to be a doormat. He's not calling you to lie down and be trampled over by those who seek to do you harm, either in word or in deed. So, this is not Jesus overlooking evil. This is not Jesus calling evil good. What Jesus is pressing on here is your heart and your life and how you respond to real evil in your life. How are you going to respond? If you're following Jesus, how are you going to respond to personal evil in your life? When Jesus is calling you not to seek out revenge against the one who's hurt you, He's calling us not to retaliate or pay back evil for evil. And we can understand that a bit more because Jesus then gives us four examples of what he's talking about, what he's calling his kingdom people to. The first one he says is to turn the other cheek. Maybe you've heard this before over time. If you've grown up in the church or even just in culture, I think some of these phrases out of Jesus' sermon here uh, have made their way into our culture. He says, turn the other cheek. If someone slaps your right cheek. So let's picture this here. Generally, in, uh, most people are right-handed, and so we're seeing Jesus saying here, what's happening is somebody's taking the back of their right hand and slapping you across the face, across your right cheek. The purpose of doing that is to insult you, to shame you. They're making you look like a fool. And so what Jesus is saying here, if somebody insults you with an insulting slap, don't retaliate and return that slap with another insulting slap. D- don't seek to harm someone in that way. What he's not saying is that, that you shouldn't defend yourself physically, if you're being attacked with, you shouldn't flee evil. I believe that's okay for us to do that. If we value human life, that's okay for us to do that. But what he's saying is don't retaliate in like kind. Don't, don't, if someone insults you in that way, don't insult them back. Give them the other cheek. Let them slap you on the other cheek. If someone takes you to court trying to take everything of yours, your tunic, so this is someone's personal possession, your clothing, just throw in your cloak as well. The cloak was meant to be a permanent possession of a person. There's actually laws in God's law that says if you actually take someone's cloak, at the end of the day, you have to give it back to them. And you can take it back from them the next morning because they need to sleep in that. This is about someone's near, a possession near and dear to them. He says if they take everything from you, throw in the cloak as well. The next one, he talks about going the extra mile. In Jesus' time, the Roman Empire and the Roman military could conscript someone into carrying their gear, carrying their baggage, and taking that a mile. And so if you've been conscripted to do that, to go a mile, Jesus says, go another mile. Be willing to go a step further to do those things, even if it's by your military oppressors. And the last example, he says, give to all who ask, all who beg of you, and seek to borrow. People who are seeking handouts or help in a way, probably intentionally seeking to take advantage of you, to press you a bit further than what you actually are able to do. Jesus is saying, be willing to give. Be a generous person. Don't find reasons not to do that. Now, something important, I think, for us to note here is that what's actually probably happening here is that most of these situations that Jesus is giving examples of have to do with the fact that, uh, that Jesus' people are being persecuted or challenged because of their faith. So those around them are seeking to take advantage of them, to hurt them, to harm them, to insult them because of their faith. If we go back in Matthew chapter 5, we see that, that that Jesus calls people to follow him and they literally leave everything to follow him. They drop their, their boats and their fishing nets. They walk away even from their families to come close to Jesus. And so they literally have nothing. And so people are persecuting and challenging them because of that. But here again, we need to be careful because our tendency, I think, is to read this legalistically. Say, so, okay, Jesus has give me some rules to follow. I need to make sure right cheek, left cheek. Okay, I got that down. Cloak, tunic. Say, I don't have those, but I think I get it. I'll throw those in. I'm going to walk literally an extra mile. I've got my Fitbit on. I know how many steps I've taken. Okay, I'm good. I'm stopping at two miles. Somebody asked me, I'm going to give them money. That's what I'm supposed to do. And, that's, and we just look at it legalistically. We're, all we're doing at that point is just checking boxes off. But Jesus, remember, he's after our hearts. He's pressing on the reality of our life. He's going after our heart because out of our heart, our actions are produced. This isn't about our behavior on the outward. This isn't about checking boxes off and being religious and following a bunch of rules. This is about following Jesus. So Jesus isn't setting up specifics here. He's not trying to create a system for us to follow so that we can feel good about ourselves. He's calling his people to live in such a way that even with those who do evil against you, that shows that you understand that your citizenship is not here that your home is not in this place, that you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. And so because of that, you have a willingness to deny yourself, a willingness to die die to self, to to let go of your perceived rights and to trust God with injustice in your life. Real injustice in your life. Our hurt is real. Our pain is real. There's there's something that's happened in your life maybe a long time ago or maybe you're walking through it right now and it's real. It's real. Someone's really hurt you. You've really been offended. There's real injustice, real abuse, real racism, real insults, slander, gossip, something that seeks to destroy you and tear you down. Maybe you're walking through that right now, or maybe you have, but you know what I'm talking about. Jesus is not discounting that here. He's not downplaying that here. He's not removing that real pain in your life. In fact, I think what Jesus is actually doing is he's actually dealing with it head on but he's dealing with it in light of his, of his kingdom. See, I think what Jesus is doing here is flipping this kind of quid pro quo approach to life and relationships. And so many of us do this. If someone does something to us, we want to return in like kind. Or if, something withhold, if somebody withholds something from us, we withhold in like kind. We have this quid, quid, quid pro quo relationship and it, and it affects every sphere of life because he flips it on its head. In your marriage context, if you felt hurt by your spouse, you don't return that hurt. If you feel unloved by your spouse, you don't withhold love from them. If you're in a relationship with a roommate or a friend, the same thing's true. You don't only give what's given to you or, only, or withhold what's not given to you. Jesus is flipping that on its head and saying, no, we're called to show love even when we don't receive love. We're called to show love even when what we're receiving is, is hurt. And to go even a step further, we're called to show love when what we're receiving, all we're receiving is evil from someone. Let's be honest, this is hard. Sometimes seems impossible. And it's especially hard for you right now if what you're experiencing in a relationship, in your life right now, whether it's in your marriage or in your home or, in your roommate or with roommates or your coworkers or your neighbors or whoever it happens to be, what you're experiencing is deep personal injury and insult, humiliation or pain. Because we're not called to be stoics. We have real emotions. We have real feelings. We have real hurt and real pain. There's anger, there's frustration that brews up within us and it's a real wrestling that we have. And there's been times in my life where I feel that way as well and I, and I go before the Lord and I'm wrestling with that. I've, I've shared some of that with you that, that God's a safe place for you to, to process your emotions. You can read through the Psalms and see David processing his emotions with the Lord, sharing his anger and frustration for those who have sought out to trap David, to hurt David, to to exact evil on David's life. And he goes to the Lord with that. And, And so God's a place and a person we can wrestle with that. Wrestle with those emotions that are actually real. Jesus is not calling us to discount those. He's not calling us to stuff them, to shove it down. He's calling us to walk in the reality of the king and his kingdom. But he is calling us to take our hurt in the midst of it, and not resist or retaliate against that evil person who is perpetuating this evil in our lives, whether that's by word or by deed. So where is our hope in this? That leads to our second point. We have our hurt, but we also have our hope. See, Sojourn, something we have to realize is that our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is not in our ability to get even. Our hope is not in our ability to make someone pay for what they've done in our lives. Our hope is in a God of justice and the king of the inverted kingdom. I think Romans chapter 12 is super helpful here. Paul further explains what Jesus is calling us to. Romans chapter 12, verses 18 through 21, this is what the apostle Paul says to us. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Paul's saying, look, seek and strive to be at peace with all people. As long as it depends on you, as much control as you actually have, as much influence as you can have on a situation and in a relationship, seek to be at peace. Seek to be at peace with all people. But then he says, don't avenge yourself. So this is real evil, real wrong that's been done to you. Don't avenge yourself. Why? He says, leave it to the wrath of God. God himself says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. He will take care of it. But it doesn't stop there, does it? We could be, that's good, praise God. But Paul calls us to go a step further. He goes, calls us to go the extra mile. He says, to the contrary, if you see your enemy is hungry, feed him. Your enemy, your enemy. It's not an unintentional word. That's very specific. If you see your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. But why do you do that? Because by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. That's not literal, Okay, you're not supposed to warm up some coals and literally dump them on this person's head. That would be seeking retaliation and revenge, not trusting in the Lord. What he's calling you to is to trust the judgment of God. Because as that person calls you to go an extra mile, as that person slaps your other cheek, what's actually seen when you don't retaliate back and you show love to them is what they're doing is wrong. That they're pressing you further than than you need to be pressed. You're trusting it to the judgment of God. And so Paul says then, Brilliantly so, led by the Holy Spirit, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, evil still sought to be overcome, but the way we go about doing that is not by making another wrong, seeking to make a right. See, here's the truth for all of us. If you allow bitterness to develop in your life, if you allow anger to grow in in your life, if you respond to evil with evil, if you seek revenge and retaliation for the wrongs done to you, real wrongs done to you, it will destroy you. It'll destroy you. Have you ever walked inside uh, on maybe a sunny day like today? You've walked inside with your sunglasses on. And sometimes when I walk into our office building, I've got a lot of stuff in my hand. I have my sunglasses on and you walk in and everything is kind of dark, right? I mean, the sun's not shining anymore. The the light inside is not as bright. And so it's difficult to see. Things are are kind of gray and covered up. See, when you and I respond to evil with evil, it's like we're walking around with our sunglasses on. A, A heavy shroud of darkness covers our life and our eyes. And it makes it hard to see. It makes it hard to see that other person as a person. It makes it hard to feel. It makes it hard to love. It makes it hard to live. And it doesn't solve anything. It's just going to eat at you like a cancer from the inside out. And it will destroy you because it holds you captive. And it definitely doesn't bring about peace in your life or in your world. See, I think what Paul is saying to you, and what Jesus is giving to you this morning is a gift of freedom. He's giving you freedom from bitterness, freedom from evil, freedom from darkness and death in your life now. And this is so hard so so hard and if we're honest it's pretty much impossible to do it's impossible to do apart from christ because the reality is is that jesus lived a perfect life in perfect love and perfect obedience jesus was falsely accused he was ridiculed and humiliated he was beaten and tortured and he was murdered on a cross and he did nothing wrong absolutely nothing wrong But in the upside down ways of God, what seemed like evil triumphing over good was the exact opposite. It was good triumphing over evil. Because on the cross, when Jesus died, the fullness of the wrath of God was satisfied in that moment. On the cross, Jesus did good to his enemies. He went the extra mile. He turned the other cheek. And he did that for you. And he did that for me. Because, see, we were enemies of God. We were doing evil towards God. We sought to rebel against God. And Jesus didn't return that in like kind. He went to the cross to bear that for us. See, all of us have evil within us, dark hearts, full of selfishness and sin. And our sin and our rebellion is what held Jesus there on the cross. He stayed on the cross, even though he knew and we know that we deserve to be there. We deserve to bear the wrath of God. But he stayed there until he accomplished our freedom. He stayed there until he accomplished redemption for us. But you don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. It wasn't fair. It wasn't fair for Jesus to do that. Because what you and I deserve is death. What we deserve is the fullness of the wrath of God. But what God gives us is mercy. What he gives us is grace. And that should blow our minds and bring us to our knees in thankfulness and praise to God. That God rescued us when we were being evil and showed us good. God poured out all the wrath that you deserve for the evil within you onto Jesus so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be made new. There's a rap group, one of my favorite rap groups, called Beautiful Eulogy. They have a line in one of their songs that I think just nails this perfectly. They say, we see the greatest expression of God's love extended in that moment when those who were once enemies instead became God's friends. That that sums up the reality of our life. Those who were once enemies, because of what Christ did for us, have now become God's friends. That's insane that God would do that. But sojourn, that's our hope. As you and I find ourselves living in a broken world made up of broken relationships, that Christ, that through Christ, evil was overcome by good. See, something really important that we need to understand is that there is no injustice in this world, there is no injustice in your life that will not be fully and completely dealt with by God. Let me say that again. There is no injustice in this world, there is no injustice in your life right now that will not be fully and completely dealt with by God. And it will either be dealt with at the cross or in eternal hell. And asking this, looking at this causes us to ask a question because it presses on something deeper within all of us, a question we need to ask ourselves in light of what we know Jesus has done for us, what we don't deserve. And here's the question. Do you trust God with your woundedness? Do you trust him with your woundedness? Do do you really believe that vengeance is his and that he'll repay? Do you trust him that if a person doesn't truly know Christ, And they've done wrong towards you that the wrath of God will be poured out on them in eternal hell. But at the very same time, do you believe that if someone truly knows Christ, that their sin towards you has been paid for in full on the cross? And that's hard, isn't it? We want grace for us. We want mercy for us. But when someone, a Christian, hurts us, when a brother or sister actually hurts us, perpetuates evil against us, We need to also remember that the vengeance of God has been poured out on Christ and it's been paid for in full. Do you trust God with your woundedness? And this requires a supernatural ability. It requires the Holy Spirit. You cannot do this on your own. You can't. But Jesus enables us to do it and he shows us how to do it. When you're struggling to walk in this way, when you've experienced real hurt in your life and you're having difficulty, you can look to the cross where Jesus looked out on those who killed him and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. They know not what they're doing. In a particularly difficult time in my life, when I felt like I was being reviled and ridiculed and humiliated, I didn't know what to do. I didn't, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to respond. I felt paralyzed. But in that moment, what came to mind was 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, where Peter says this, when he, talking about Jesus, he said, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus, who did nothing wrong, was being ridiculed. Jesus, who did nothing wrong, was being reviled. Jesus, who did nothing wrong, was nailed to a cross. But he didn't revile in return. He didn't seek out revenge. He didn't give threats. He trusted himself to God who judges justly, who's a God of justice. And as I was experiencing this, I thought, well, if Jesus did this, then that's what I should do too. That's how I need to respond as well. But you know what? Even in that moment, it didn't make everything better. Because after that moment, you know what happened to me? Is after that moment, someone came back to me and said, you're a coward. You're a coward. Because you didn't respond that way. In the right way. Whatever way they thought I should respond. Slap. Slap. Do I trust God with my woundedness? Do I trust him with that? Listen, if you have faith in Jesus and what he's done to overcome your sin and your darkness, then you are in Jesus now. You are united to Jesus now. And so when you encounter the mercy and the grace that God pours out on you that you do not deserve in your own life, when you come across things like that, you no longer need it to consider that it's your duty to get even. It's your duty to let everybody else know what someone did to you. Because you can trust in the grace and mercy of God and the justice of God. See, we can't take these examples that Jesus gives beyond being examples. The kingdom principle that he's calling us to is radical, otherworldly love. Love that seeks to listen. Love that seeks to understand. Love that stands up for our brothers and sisters. Love that cares. And in this, Jesus is not asking us to do anything that he hasn't already done himself. Which is a good reminder, this isn't really about you, it's about Jesus. And hear this this morning, Jesus is for you. He is for you. He cares for you. Every detail of your life, every hair on your head, he cares about the reality of your life. And he's giving you a whole new way to live, a whole new way to be human. He's giving you freedom. See, like everything else we've looked at Matthew chapter 5, we have to remember that these are Jesus' words. We can't disconnect them from him because this is not possible apart from him. As one scholar says, only those who there in the cross of Jesus find faith in victory over evil can obey his command. And that is only, that's the only kind of obedience which has the promise. So this is a call for us to participate in the cross and at the same time longing for resurrection, which has and will come. See, sojourn, this requires a long view in life. A long view. Believing that the king has come and that he will come again. That resurrection and new life and the ultimate destruction of every evil and every injustice will come. Will there be no more hate, no more injustice, no more racism, no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering, no more abuse? Where the fullness of shalom will come and can be completely restored. Will there be harmony and peace for all of God's people? Which leads us to our last point our healing. See, when you trust God with your wounds here and now, you can begin to experience healing instead of hurt. When you trust him with your wounds here and now, you can begin to experience healing instead of hurt, freedom instead of bondage to evil or bitterness. And in those moments, you can actually do good towards those who do evil. But part of that here and now for us is God calling us to speak out against evil, to speak out against injustice, not retaliate against it. See, as God's kingdom people here still in the midst of a broken world where the fullness of the kingdom of God is not yet here, he still calls us to be people who fight for peace. But to paraphrase Martin Luther King from his letters from a Birmingham jail, he says true peace is not the absence of tension. True peace is the presence of justice. See, a lot of times in our culture, in our lives, we can believe as long as the tension's not there, then there's true peace. But that's not true. True peace exists when there's actually acknowledging the fact that something has been done wrong and fighting for justice in the way that God calls us to by going the extra mile, by showing love to those who don't deserve it. It's something to work towards. Again, this is active. It's not passive. And this is especially important when you have an opportunity like right now in our culture to be a voice for the voiceless and the marginalized. To stand up for our brothers and sisters around us and seek to understand what they might be going through and say, I'm with you. I want to understand and I want to fight alongside of you. But fight in the way that the king calls us to. See, we have to understand, Sojourn, that the coming of the kingdom of God is the beginning of the end of injustice. And it's the beginning of restoration of shalom, of peace, of harmony. And God's kingdom people here and now must be agents of that shalom, agents of peace. So what do we do right now with evil towards us? See, I think part of healing is addressing evil now in an otherworldly kind of way. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, again, is so helpful here as he talks about this in his own writing. And this is a man who experienced great evil in his own life and existed in a time of great evil under the Nazi regime. He said this. Maybe some of the most challenging things to summarize what Jesus has said to us this morning. He says, the overcoming of others now occurs by allowing evil to run its course. The evil does not find what it is seeking, namely resistance, and therewith new evil which will inflame it even more. What he's saying is evil's looking for more evil. Evil wants to stir up more evil, and when it doesn't find any evil to stir up, it loses its effect. He says evil will become powerless when it finds no opposing object, no resistance, but instead is willingly born and suffered. Evil meets an opponent for which it is not a match. Of course, this happens only when the last remnant of resistance is removed, when the urge to retaliate evil with evil is completely renounced. Then evil cannot achieve its goal of creating more evil. It remains alone. Or as Martin Luther King famously said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. It doesn't negate the evil that's happening, but it deals with it in a way that only Jesus makes possible for us. See, when people hit you or insult you or press for more from you and you respond in love instead of hate or vengeance, it shines a bright light on the evil at hand and it's clearly seen as sin. When you're hurt by others and you respond in radical kingdom love, the contrast of who you are and and who you follow is so stark compared to what has been done to you. And I believe God is glorified by that. He's glorified by it. Jesus went to the cross to die for our sin and our shame and our wickedness and our evil that all resides within us. And now he enables us to be light and to show love in the midst of darkness and evil. Sojourn, our society needs change. And our society is made up of a bunch of relationships. So as we look out at our world around us, we recognize that there needs to be change. There needs to be equality among men and women, among among rich and poor, among black and white, Asian and Hispanic and every other ethnicity because all bear the image of God. We need change, but we have to recognize that our culture and our country and our society will not change in this way through laws and regulations. Because the reality is relationships don't change or heal through separation or cold shoulders or exclusion. Not dealing with those things. Jesus, the great healer and restorer, the king of peace and the king of glory is the only way. And as another scholar says, evil persons must be delivered into the hands of Jesus. Not I, but Jesus must deal with them because he's the only one that can change someone. And all this will either be dealt with through the cross Or through an eternal punishment and separation from God. All of it comes through the death and resurrection of Christ. This is the hope we have, that Jesus died for us and rose again when we did not deserve it. And right now he is on the throne. Our God is in control. Our God's in control over your life. He's in control over this world. Even when things are difficult and confusing for us to understand, he's still in control. And that's the hope we have. And that's the hope our world needs right now. So many people desperately need Our world needs it. Our country needs this. Our church needs this. In your life, people in your life need this right now. So will you go? Will you tell them? Will you be an agent of change? Will you be an agent of love? Will you be an agent of peace? Will you be an agent of hope? Will you be an agent of healing? Let me also say this as I close. This is something that we are called to do together in community. We're not a bunch of disconnected individuals. We're a family together of brothers and sisters with God as our Father. And so healing in community means that we weep with those who weep. We weep with those who weep, even if the injustice wasn't done to us, and even if we don't understand it. Paul calls us to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, and there's no qualifiers to it. So you need to hear this again because of what's going on in our culture right now. You weep with those who weep. You don't don't try and figure out if their weeping is justified. Well, I don't really think you should be that upset. There's more circumstances. You need to understand more. No, there's pain. So weep with those who weep. That's what God calls you to do. There's no qualifiers to it. Don't brush off someone else's pain or hurt because you can't relate to it. We need to understand that black lives matter. We need to understand that the lives of our law enforcement matter. And we need to seek to be agents of change in that and seek to listen and love and ask questions and help and love and weep with those who weep in the midst of that so that we can be a voice into our culture as God's people who understand that we do not return evil for evil. But what we do is go the extra mile and show love to those who hurt us. See, sojourn, retaliation and revenge are not marks of a people who've been shown radical grace and mercy. Jesus took on our hurt to give us hope and to bring us healing. So our call is to rest in Him now, run to Him now, trust Him with your wounds now. Because the Psalm 126.5 says, those who sow in tears shall reap shouts of joy. Everything will be dealt with because the King will come again. And so to that end, with that hope, we can pray with fervency and genuine longing, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. We're going to come to the table now this morning and what we're coming to is a meal of unity and peace. We come to a meal that acknowledges our hurt but gives us hope and healing and binds us together as God's people. It doesn't matter what you look like, it doesn't matter what background you come from, when we come to this table, we come to the foot of the cross, where we're remembering the fact that Jesus' body was broken for us, his blood was shed for us, that we don't deserve that, but he brings us now together as his people. And Jesus meets us here in this meal. His presence is here in this meal to minister to our souls, to refresh us in his grace, and to remind us that he is king. And Jesus specifically told us, That every time we eat this bread, every time we drink this cup, we proclaim his wrath-bearing, sin-crushing death until he comes again. And so as you come forward this morning, bring your hurt, bring your wounds, and find hope in Jesus. Jesus who's overcome evil with good. And those of you that are not followers of Christ, I would just ask you this morning not to come forward. And the reason for that is not because we're trying to make you feel weird. We're not trying to be exclusive in that. But the reason is, is this meal doesn't do anything for you unless you know Christ. And so we want you to actually know Jesus first. We want you to actually take Christ first. And Jesus' arms are open to you this morning. He's inviting you to himself this morning if you don't yet know him. If right now in your life there's bitterness and there's anger, lay it down at the foot of the cross of Jesus and call on the name of Jesus to save you. Start that relationship with him today. That's what this church is here for. We want you to know Christ So tell someone around you that you want to learn more. Tell someone around you that you've come to know Christ today so that we can walk with you in that. But those of you that will come forward, you can come to the front or to the back. Tear off a piece of bread and take a small cup to drink. And what Jesus did for you to overcome your evil in your life, to give you good and give you his grace will be spoken over you this morning. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning in a a time of heavy hearts, a time of difficulty, a time of confusion, whether it's in our culture or just in our own lives. Father, I know there's men and women in this room right now that are experiencing real hurt, that are experiencing real pain in their life right now in these moments, brokenness in their marriage, brokenness in their relationship with their family, brokenness in relationships with community. And Father, I just pray, my prayer this morning is that you would heal our hearts, that you would heal our wounds my prayer, prayer this morning is that you would heal our country, that you heal our community. Father, give us hope. Help us to trust you with our wounds. Help us to believe that you are a God of grace and a God of mercy and a God of justice and that everything will be dealt with. Help us to believe that to be true. And as we go out from this place, help us to be agents of change and agents of hope and agents of healing because we believe that Jesus is King. That he took on our evil on the cross to give us new life and a new way to live. Father, we pray that you do a work that only you can do by the power of your spirit in our lives and the power of your spirit working through this community. Father, we ask for you to do that work for your glory and for our good. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.